So here we are, by a margin of 51.9% to 48.1%, the people of the United Kingdom have voted to leave the European Union. And whether you voted leave or remain, that tells you that we are a nation divided that needs to think very carefully about what it means to go forward in these next days, weeks and months ahead. The talk even early on during Thursday night's results programme was about victors and vanquished. So helpful, don't you think? I don't know how you feel this morning, whether you feel pleased, optimistic, hopeful, relieved it's over, sad, stunned, fearful, anxious, angry, frustrated, or any other cocktail that you choose to make. But I imagine that at this point, and as more and more comments are made, it is unlikely that we will feel nothing. So this morning, I feel that it's appropriate to change what I was going to preach about. I can't think of more than one occasion on which I have done that over 22 years of ministry here. Uh, my sermon on 1 Corinthians 11 is written and on my desk, should you wish to look at it. But I feel that this morning instead it's appropriate to make some comments around a Christian response to Brexit and how I hate that word. How we might respond as individuals, how we as a church can take our place in a new future. Esther, you are recording this, aren't you? Thank you. Um, if you don't know me, this is a very un-Lisa type of sermon. I'm normally PowerPoints and illegible scroll to preach from. And I've written this out more or less because I kind of did it yesterday and it just seemed right to do it that way. I only found out on Friday like the rest of you. It isn't amazingly thought out. It may have some bits in it that are a bit raggedy to you. Please don't take offence, it's just written yesterday. I've taken thoughts and reflections from those that we hold in high esteem as well as some of my own thoughts. And I guess this is about recognising that this is a key moment in the history of the United Kingdom, whatever the future may look like. And believing that the Christian community has an opportunity to lead the way based on our faith in God, our understanding of his word and his world. However we may have cast our vote on Thursday, the result is now that we face an inevitable period of uncertainty and change. Optimism, perhaps on the part of some over-optimism, can be as difficult to manage as anxiety, even fear. Nostalgia isn't an option. Things can never be as they once were. The world and culture moves always forward, sometimes better, sometimes worse. But in this time, as followers of Jesus, people of faith, it is so critical for us to hold on to the reality that it is God who initiated, sustains, and will ultimately wrap up history. Leaders, nations, and empires have risen and fallen, and yet we trust that God's purposes prevail beyond any political alliance or union. I want to read to you a couple of verses from Daniel. You may wish to follow these. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name 
of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. The Evangelical Alliance response to the result was helpful. And part, one of their phrases they used was this. We have confidence in God who holds the nations in his hands, who is the creator of all things. We have confidence that though the pundits and pollsters may be flummoxed, God is not phased. At many times in history and in many places across our globe today, this is an essential perspective to hold on to in order to simply survive. We may be English, British, European, or from anywhere else in the world, but beyond that, we are citizens of a different kingdom. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is one which brings together people from every time in history, every culture, gender, age group, every tribe and tongue and nation under the lordship and rule of Jesus Christ. The image and vision of Revelation chapter 5 verse 9, chapter 7 verse 9 is of people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together at the feet of Jesus, worshipping the Lamb for all eternity. That is our vision. It is our allegiance to that kingdom that supersedes every earthly kingdom and from which we derive our identity, our vision and our values the things which define our attitudes, words, and behavior. We have been speaking much about identity, individually, who we are in Christ, and as a church, who we are, what our Christian community looks like, those patterns of behavior that are consistent with our king about what it means to be an authentic, Christ-like community. In Chinese, and I don't know a whole lot of Chinese, in Chinese, the word for crisis is made up of two different characters. The character for danger. And I'm sure that we feel something of that as we face an uncertain future, personally, economically, and politically. But it also includes the character for opportunity. Danger and opportunity. And as a people of faith, we need to be able to see beyond what is to what might be under the hand of God. I'm sure you'll agree with me that this is a crisis, as in it's a radical change of circumstances. Which of those is it going to be? Or will it be a combination of both? And what is our calling as the people of God within that? The joint archbishop's response, Justin Welby and John Sentamu, says this. We must all seek to reimagine both what it means to be the United Kingdom in an interdependent world and which values and virtues should shape and guide our relationships with others. We need to reimagine re that. It's a different time now. We need to reimagine what it means to be us in our interdependent, interconnected, global culture, and what values and virtues should shape and guide the way that we relate with each other and beyond our walls. We are those who follow the Prince of Peace. Agreed? Good. 
One of our highest callings at this time is to be peacemakers. This has been a bruising campaign, even if you were on the so-called winning side. And its result has revealed deep disappointment, disillusionment and disaffection with what is. Peacemaking is about listening. It's about hearing. It's about understanding. Our political parties are divided. Our communities are divided. Families even are divided. And the church risks also being divided. I know Christians, people I love and respect on both sides of the vote. We need to be those who enable peacemaking, bridge building, who refuse to take the easy route of ignoring people, of denigrating their opinions, of vilifying people or groups of people. Last night I was um, looking at my Facebook status, as you do, and a friend of mine and colleague who uh, works in the Midlands somewhere, I shall be generally vague about that, had written something on his wall about, now is the time for us to pray and put our hope in Jesus, or something like that. The rest of what was written was absolutely vile, vile, from other brothers and sisters in Christ. I couldn't believe what I was reading on his status. Eventually, I, I felt so upset by what I saw. He's not a close friend of mine, just somebody I know. That I Facebook messaged him and said, what in the world is going on and are you okay? He said, I'm kind of okay, but I feel pretty battered. Could you tell me, did I write anything inappropriate? And I went through it all and I said, I really don't think you did. What is that about? That's not what we're called to, is it? We're called to peace making, to bridge building, to not taking an easy route of just being angry and rude. And whilst there may be some generalizations based on age, on social status or geography, the truth is that people of every age, status and geographical location voted on both sides for all sorts of reasonable reasons, as well as perhaps some ill-informed or selfish ones. This vote was a demonstration of the political freedom that we enjoy, but it also exposes the fragility of our democracy. After all, we don't worship democracy any more than we worship anything else than God, do we? We saw participation at levels which we haven't seen for decades, but we also saw cynical campaigning and honesty marginalised for political gain. And our energies need now to be directed towards building bridges within and between communities across the UK and maybe even beyond. Our Prince of Peace is the one that Paul speaks about in Ephesians 2 verse 14 as our peace, as the one who breaks down dividing walls of hostility. I think we might need a bit of that. He is the one in whom Galatians 3.28 says, there is no Jew or Gentile, no male or female, no slave or free. He is the one who gives us, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a ministry of reconciliation. And we are those whose identity reflects the reconciler, the redeemer, who over these next few months need to be at the forefront of that ministry of reconciliation in our churches, in our communities, for individuals and families. And reconciliation requires honesty, it requires hard work, it requires we show respect and openness to those we disagree with. 
It reminds us that while we cannot ignore the differences that this vote has exposed, we cannot let those differences define us because we are more than that. Perhaps there's a particular role we can play with our young people. You see, I told you you would be mentioned. <laughs> because across the nation, their vote wasn't quite the same as the national vote. And locally, in fact, in our high school, the vote was 73% in favour of Remain. Yet again, many young people are despondent, not all, disillusioned and even angry about the value of their opinion, of their, their vote and perhaps of their future. And we can accuse them of immaturity or we can say you have a lack of broad understanding of the issues or we can listen to their hope for a more diverse, gracious world in which they are global citizens and work with them in terms of their fears around travel, education and opportunity. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We are those whose identity is shaped by a God who embraces the marginalised, welcomes the poor, the destitute and the broken. Hebrews 13 verse 1 to 3 says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Individuals within our nation have been those in history who have led great social reform to abolish slavery, to develop education for all, to build a safety net of care for the sick, the elderly, those with disability and the unemployed. Many of them have been challenged by the words of scripture that every person is valued as a human being made in God's image. And I hope and pray that we may still be that kind of nation, leading the way in living generously, leading the way in compassion, showing mercy and walking with God. The same God who reminded his people that once they were the aliens in the land, and so now they should care for those who are aliens among them. Jesus, who when asked the question, who is my neighbor, told a story of a man who was beaten up on the road, and then who came to help him? The least expected person, the seeming enemy. We have a generous, welcoming, and loving God whose heart and hands are open to the vulnerable, the unwanted, the poor, those in pain, and those who don't belong. And whilst there may be genuine practical concerns about how we respond to refugees and asylum seekers, how many, where, and how they are rehomed, please can we remember that every person is made in God's image. Every person has worth and dignity. Every person is loved by God. And that the church, which transcends nationality, must be the place where people running from violence, war, poverty, famine and fear can find a place to call home. God has brought men, women and children here from all over the world. And because of the love and welcome of the church, many have started to experience the love of God and found salvation in Christ. My friend who's a pastor in Stockton-on-Tees has recently baptized over 60 Iranians who have come to know Christ in our nation. Surely we must celebrate that. And let's make sure that this continues 
And for those who, in the face of what must feel like a decision that perhaps mostly because of the rhetoric says, we don't want you here. And for those whose identity as European adds uncertainty and anxiety to their lives, let's reach out a hand of friendship and concern, cherishing our wonderfully diverse society, appreciating the massive contribution that people of many nations make into this nation. We are already involved in ministries to the hungry, to those in debt, to those who are often lonely. Others from our congregation are concerned for integrity in business, ministering to the sick in body and mind, working alongside the asylum seeker. Let's pray that we may be a place known for our concern for justice and compassion above party political or our pro or sceptical views around the European Union. One of my personal main concerns around our exit from the European Union has to do with the expression of the gospel, but maybe it'll make no difference. Continentally, geographically, we are part of Europe. Much of Europe is still a vast mission field where there is very little in terms of life, church, life. There are now, thankfully, pockets of renewal in the established churches, and we celebrate that. But let's not forget our responsibility to be those who offer the message of good news in Jesus, life and forgiveness because of the cross and resurrection. And let's pray that the doors remain open to those who have chosen to go live in European Union countries, consciously to share the gospel, to partner with local believers, and to build the church. So what now? What now? Well, we, all of us here, we need to choose intentionally to build our lives on Jesus. Our rock our sure foundation. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says this, we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So whatever shaking is going on out there, we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Romans 13 reminds us, and this is written at a time when Christians were living under the rule of Rome, and you might remember that most of the Roman emperors were not particularly keen on Christians. Romans 13 reminds us that we should work with those who are in authority over us, that we should work together with those people. And then, of course, we should pray. We should pray. And I want to give you some suggestions about who and what we need to pray for. And then as part of our responsive worship, we're going to do that. Uh, so if you're a kind of note-taking person, you might want to do that because if you're like me, you'll have forgotten what I've said by the time I've said it. We need to pray as God's word commands us for all those who are in authority. 1 Timothy chapter 2. One Timothy chapter two, verse one. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. 
Again, written at a time when the church was being persecuted, I urge you to pray for all those in authority. We must do that. We must do that. Our own MPs, Julian Smith, if you live in, in uh, this district, leaders across our nation, leaders in Europe, in the European Union, and other significant leaders across the globe. We need to pray. We need to take this command really seriously and pray for those who are in authority over us. Secondly, we need to pray for the current instability in the political parties. As a new Tory leader is appointed, as the Labour Party works its way forward in whatever direction, as decisions are taken in Scotland and possibly in Northern Ireland, we need to pray around that instability that is part of our national horizon at this particular point in time. We need to pray for those, thirdly, who feel destabilised by the decision that was taken. Whether here or living in Europe, there are many people who feel very unsettled, fearful, anxious, destabilised. We need to pray for those people. You might be one of those people. We need to pray into that, the peace and the presence of the Lord. Fourthly, we need to pray for those who are bruised and hurting. For those who had felt and do still feel that they were not listened to, that they were not cared about, that they had no value or no voice. We have to listen to that part of this uh, referendum that we've just undertaken and pray for those people and engage fifth I think <laughs> we need to pray for the healing of divisions whether it's over our voting choice over wealth and poverty over geography over age pro profile we need to pray for the healing of the divisions that have come amongst us and if the recent days news and other uh, ways of communicating or anything to go by are only going to get worse. We need to pray for that. And lastly, but not least importantly, we need to pray for the hope that is the gospel. We need to pray for the hope that is the gospel. Our hope is not based on David Cameron or on the Tory party or the Labour party or the European Union or the UN or NATO or anybody else. Our hope is based on Jesus Christ, the hope of the gospel, Jesus' hope of the nations. It is so easy to build our lives on other stuff, isn't it? On other substitutes, on other foundations. We need to pray that the hope of the gospel will come and transform our nation and the continent of Europe. We're going to pray, but I wanted to read to you something that... Uh, Someone here wrote, because I felt that it captures some of the things I've said, but it captures something of the moment as well. And uh, so I've asked Esther if I can use her words this morning, because I feel that that really helpfully wraps up what I want to share with you. We're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer that uh, has been written by the Joint Public Issues team from the Baptist Union. And then we are going to have a time where we can pray. Now, it is, it is nigh on impossible to be completely neutral 
uh, in these things. Um, I've done my best this morning. Um, but in our prayers, let's really pray for those things that I have mentioned. Pray that we might be peacemakers, reconcilers, welcomers, hospitable. Those who choose a different path because our identity is in Jesus. Esther writes this after she's written some other things. <laughs> some things will not change as a result of this decision. We will still be working with the EU. It's just that we are in uncharted waters. Place those in God's hands. He's good at those kind of things. We will still have lots of people moving in and out of this country. We always have. And we need to be welcoming and loving. We also need to seek our, go uh, seek our government to ensure that where people go and population increases, resources follow. We still need people with all kinds of skills for all kinds of jobs. Maybe the emigration process for those non-EU coming in will become a little less convoluted and complicated. We still have a responsibility as the world's fifth largest economy, this was Friday, and one of the richest countries in the world to play our part, help the poorer nations, do what we can with international crises such as refugees from war zones. We have a responsibility to the environment. In these last two, it may be up to us to hold our government to account. We as the church need to stand up for those who have no voices, those that feel they don't, both in and out of our country. We need to love the generationally unemployed who feel left behind just as much as the people from other countries. Regardless of how the future is worked out, we need to be part of it. To those who voted remain, don't leave, we need you. We know that you voted loving this country and for what you felt was best for it, and we have no idea as yet what the future holds. To those who voted leave, don't celebrate. There are no winners in this. The brokenness of this country is enough to bring tears of repentance on both sides. The brokenness of this country is enough to bring tears of repentance on both sides. Not for voting, but for the love lost and division caused. Pray for our country, our leaders and the EU for wisdom. And remember that God is still God, even if it does not feel that all is right with the world.